Our second lesson today, you've already been uh, hinted at anyway. It comes from the gospel according to Mark. It's the lesson for this second Sunday of January. I'm reading from Mark 1, beginning with the fourth verse. We listen for God's word. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed... The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In various seasons of my life, I find my faith and life enriched by the writings, the thoughts, the insights of the great Henry Nouwen. Nowen was a Catholic priest originally from Holland who spent most of his career in this country. He had a varied career teaching and writing at some prominent places, but his last season of work was with the large community uh, caring for disabled people. The things that Henry Nowen writes uh, still speak to my heart. He's no longer with us, but his writings continue to feed my faith. And in these early days of 2012, certain words from Nowen got my attention again. In a book called Seeds of Hope, Nowen says this, and I quote, Our lives, as we live them, seem like lives that anticipate questions that will never be asked. It seems as if we're getting ourselves ready for the question, how much did you earn during your lifetime? It seems like we're getting ready for the question, how far did you get in your career? Or how many friends did you make? Or how much influence did you have on other people? And here's where Nowen comes in with his keen insight. Were any of those the questions Christ cares most about? If they were, we should all have great confidence. But, says Nowen, nobody is going to hear those questions. What Jesus asks is that we follow him. What Jesus asks is that we love one another. What Jesus asks is that we care for the least. Indeed, what Jesus asks is that we make the world a more hopeful and wholesome place. As we move into this new year, 2012, what is it that gives you your identity? What is it that gives you your specific purpose in life? What voice, specifically whose voice, do you hear most clearly? Do you take 
for the foundation and the context and the shape of your life? What voice are we listening to as God's people? Our goal, our job as God's people is to find daily encounters, daily endeavors that are related to the purposes of God. Our calling in life, our calling and my calling in life and our calling together as God's people in this place is to do everything, everything in such a way that God is pleased and God's purposes are promoted. So as we move into these early days of 2012, we need to think about how much of our lives are really about God's purposes. That's the guiding question for all of us. How much of our lives, our work life, our family life, our leisure life, our retired life, how much of our life really reflects significant movement towards the thing that God cares most about? I'm asking you to think about this in the light of the two scripture texts we have heard already this morning, those first words from Genesis and these first words from Mark's gospel. The Bible begins with six words. In the beginning when God created. That's a very significant affirmation, especially as we think about our lives in a new year. God, you see, precedes everything. God is over all things. God is under all things. God is in all things. That's the Bible's opening word and affirmation. That's the Bible's opening important concern. In the beginning, when God created, it's not trying to be a scientific statement. It's an affirmation about whose world this is. It's a theological statement. God comes first in the world It's not an explanation of how things happened. It's an affirmation of whose world this is and whose our lives belong to, what life is about, God and God's purposes. In Mark, we have John the Baptist emerging on the scene, and he's in a strange outfit, and he's out in the wilderness, and he draws a crowd. It says, even all the people from Jerusalem came out to him, and he's speaking about Jesus. And at Jesus' baptism, the heavens open, a spirit descends like a dove on Jesus, and then there's the voice, the voice from heaven. In recent weeks, as we've moved through Christmas, we've been talking a lot about God with us, about Emmanuel. Well, in the first words of Mark, we get a depiction of Emmanuel. Though God's, through God's claiming of Jesus, this is my son, through the veiled, uh, through the outbreaking of the heavens and the dove descending, through the voice, this is my beloved, the veiled mystery of God has now been manifest. See, this is the essence of the Christian faith depicted as clearly as possible. God is no longer aloof And hidden in the heavens, God is with us. Emmanuel in the person 
of Jesus. God is among us. God has become flesh. God has even being baptized here. God is being seen and heard by finite creatures. This is what Christian faith is actually most about. The God who was in the beginning, created the world, is also in the world, present and at work in Jesus, so that as we align our lives with Jesus, as we listen to Him, as we link our lives to His purposes, as we follow Jesus, we move our lives closer and closer to God's grand purposes for us and for the world. So the question at the beginning of the year is, will our life, will your life, will my life be about Jesus' life and teachings also? That's the ongoing question. Will we live with hearts aligned to this beloved of God or aligned to something else? It's a real and it's a daily challenge. Do we find our purposes in the world related to the purposes of God? especially the purposes of Jesus, that we carry on with our daily tasks, our thinking, our acting, our work life, our leisure life, our retired life in ways that link us with the purposes of Jesus. Are our lives reflecting Jesus' life? This is what real faith and real life are about. Some of you know that across the recent weeks, weeks, I've been reading a fantastic book. It's entitled Unbroken, a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. This is the latest book by Laura Hillenbrand, who also wrote Seabiscuit. It came out in 2010. I talked about an early section of this book several weeks ago in another sermon. It's a thick book. 500 pages almost, and friends, there are riveting stories on every page because it's about an Olympic runner from the 1936 Olympics named Louis Zamperini. And following his college and his running career at Southern California, Zamperini served as a bombardier in the World War II Army Air Corps flying in the Pacific region. His plane was shot down over the ocean in May 1943. Zamperini and two others out of a crew of 11 on his plane, three people survived the crash, and they ended up in a raft floating in the Pacific, a raft with no food and no water. They drifted, they floated for seven weeks. They fought off hunger and thirst and storms and sharks and even being shot at by Japanese bombers. The stories of this saga are incredible. Then, after seven weeks of floating in the ocean for 2,000 miles, they finally see land. They're excited. As it turns out, it's a Japanese island. So while they barely survive the sea, as soon as they land, they become prisoners of war. Murderously sadistic guards, starvation rations, bloody dysentery, all whittled away at their bodies and souls. 
On many days, they wish they were still floating on the raft. Or they wish they were dead. In fact, the world thought Louis Zamperini was dead, killed with thousands of others, shot down by the Japanese, or killed in a crash in the ocean. But he was in a POW camp and unidentified by the Japanese, and he was getting beaten and abused through long days and long weeks for more than two years until all the way after the atomic bombs were dropped in August of 1945. And then after the war, though reunited with his family, though finally free to restart his own life, he remained a prisoner, a prisoner to the trauma that he had experienced in the POW camp, a prisoner to all the horrific images and psychological damage that you might expect from that kind of several years. He had problems with alcohol. He had problems with relationships. He had problems keeping a job. He had problems, really, with all aspects of his life. Nearly three years after the war, Louis was really really struggling with his life, and his wife, though he had a very rocky marriage, his wife told him she was pregnant. The prospect of more responsibility filled him with guilt and despair. The world was passing him by. Hillenbrand writes this. No one could reach Louis because he had never really come home. In prison camp, he had been beaten into dehumanized obedience. He was still captive to the vicious Japanese officer called Bird. The bird had taken his dignity and left him feeling humiliated and ashamed and powerless. It was Louis' fortitude and hope that had kept him alive through so much. Seven weeks floating in a raft on the ocean. Two long years in prison camps against brutality and disease and humiliation. But now back home he was worse than ever filled with vengefulness, remorse, and hatred, a captive to all that had happened to him. He was even convinced that God was against him, convinced that God was toying with him, causing him to trip and fall again and again. But then with the constant encouragement of Cynthia, his wife, and some friends, Louis found himself in a big tent where Billy Graham was preaching in Southern California in 1948. Though it was far from a dramatic conversion moment, Graham's words combined with other things allowed Louis to begin to see things differently about himself and his past and his future. He did not only remember the horrible crash of the airplane that killed almost all of his crew, he actually found himself thinking about the wires of the plane that entangled him in the crash as it went underwater and how they inexplicably disappeared, allowing him to emerge on the surface. He remembered the Japanese bomber swooping over the life raft, shooting bullets at them on the raft, riddling it with bullets, and yet he also remembered that not one bullet hit him or hit the other guy on the raft. 
he had fallen into unbearably cruel worlds of the prison camps. And yet he had borne them, survived them. When he thought of his history, not all that had trapped him and him down, what resonated was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save his life time and time again. He had a powerful sense that God was real and God had been at work in his life in all of those horrific moments and God had never let him go. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that his brutal captors had sought to make him. His fear, his rage, his humiliation, his helplessness began to fall away. And he found a new direction for his life. Though the anguish had nearly killed him, and it had taken more than three years after the war of living with this anguish, finally for Louis... He was returning home. If you want to read about life's real struggles and resiliency and redemption, I'm not sure there is a better book. By God's grace and by God's guidance and care, Louis Zamperini has spent the rest of his life, since 1948, seeking to help others find their lives. He set up a camp for troubled kids. He worked at his church, a Presbyterian church in Southern California, to strengthen their programs and help them do God's work. He says he committed to living every day with joy. And many testify of how well he did that. And today he's 94 and still doing it. Striving to make the world a better place. Why this book fits so well with the text for this day gets us back to lives that are connected to God's purposes, especially as we begin a new year in God's love and service. Do we become bitter or better by the things that happen to us? It's easy to become bitter. Do we find ourselves trapped in the past Or moving with God toward God's future, which God always holds out before us, full of life and hope. It's easy to get trapped in the past, no matter what we've been dealt. In the beginning, when God created, those are the first words of the Bible that remind us that this is God's world and our lives belong to God. And God is in all things and through all things and with us. In all things. We should never forget it. And then the heavens opened. And the dove descends. And the voice says. This is my beloved. My son. Reminding us again. God is never far off. God is not aloof. In the heavens. This is a depiction of Emmanuel. God comes in Jesus. And God knows my earthly issues and your earthly issues, and God goes through all of them with us. And God keeps saying, follow me. Love one another. You've been blessed. You are baptized. The waters cover us. We're called to be a blessing to the world. 
We can so easily get lost in the trials and the anguish that come our way. Life can be very difficult with heartache and uncertainty and challenges and changes all around. We can get discouraged too. The cloud of economic uncertainty, the stress of our city, of our world, the nasty words of politics that plague our culture, it can get discouraging. Are we beat up or beat down by all these loud voices of crisis and cult? Are we paralyzed and perplexed by the things that come our way? Or do we allow those words of Genesis to speak to us? In the beginning, God. That means always and forever. Setting the time for everything. God is in, under, and through all things. And nothing is beyond God's redemption. And nothing is beyond God's grace. And do we hear those words from Mark, this is my son, the beloved, and know that God's presence is saying the same about each of us, my child, my beloved. That's who we are. See, our lives are held by God. Through our baptisms, that's the promise. We're God's beloved. And our lives are for God's work in the world. That's what our purposes are called to be about. May we so trust God's presence, claiming us and loving us through all things. And may we seek to be about God's work, filled with God's Spirit, sharing God's light today, tomorrow, this year, this week, and forever. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God, help our unbelief and move us to deeper faith and more faithful action, for we seek to follow Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.